Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, we have written 35 cookbooks. We're currently writing the 36th, but the 35th is out right now. The Instant Air Fryer Bible, all about making simple, fast, delicious food in particularly instant brand air fryers like the Vortex and the Omni. But really, you can use these recipes for any air fryer out there. Simple step-by-step instructions for pretty easy recipes all around. We're excited about that, but this podcast is not about that. Instead, we're offering you a holiday gift guide, our one-minute cooking tip. We have an interview with one of my favorite people, Dave Joachim. Oh, just wait for that. And I get to do that interview, and we're going to talk about what's making us happy in food this week, so let's get going. This week, it's Black Friday, and so we are going to offer up our first Food Lovers Gift Guide to the Holidays for 2022. First, because next episode, we're going to do it again, because it's always a popular oh, wow. thing, and we love, we, we love finding food things. So here are six of our favorite food finds that your friends, your family will love to get, that we would love to get if you're sending us a gift. And let me tell you, before we get started on this, that we're going to tell you websites to go to. I'm going to spell those websites. We're going to talk about that, and where to to go get some of these products, but you don't have to pull your car over on the side of the road <laughs> or have a wreck trying to Please write don't. this down. Please don't, because if you drop down into the comment section and if you drop down into the podcast description section on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are later, I will leave a list of all these links there so you can find it just below in the podcast description where we go through the podcast minute by minute and tell you what's happening in it. So check those episode notes wherever you get your podcast and you can find these producers. Okay, let's set off. The first one I want to talk about is Masienda.com. That's M-A-S-I-E-N-D-A.com. It's a company started by Jorge Gaviria. And we've had him on the podcast before. I've interviewed him because of his book, Masa. And uh, I just want to say, before we talk about Masienda.com, M-A-S-I-E-N-D-A.com, as Bruce said, let me just say that Jorge has changed our lives. <laughs> and I can't say that about much food product in my world, but Jorge has changed our lives. And it's all the beans. It's about his Ayacote, A-Y-O-C-O-T-E, pinto beans. Oh, they are just I've never had beans like these. Now, listen, these are dried beans you have to soak and Mm -hmm. cook, but I have never had beans with a texture like these. Now, to be fair, other places sell Ayacote pinto beans. They sell them with the purple skins, with the brown skins, with the yellow skins. But what Jorge does at Macienda.com is he packages these Ayacote beans multicolor in one package. And there's something about the heirloom varieties he's getting from a farm in Mexico that holds its texture so well well. when you cook them that they are earthy and meaty. And Mm -hmm. these are the Mm -hmm. beans. If you are trying to convince somebody to Mm -hmm. go meatless, these beans are the way to go. And let me tell you, these Ayacote beans are so great. They make great house gifts. If you're going somewhere for the holidays, bring a bag of these with you as a house mm-hmm. gift. I, I really, honestly, they are unbelievably delicious and I can tell you that they are so delicious that two hardcore food writers like Bruce and Mark have made dinner out of these beans and rice more Mm -hmm. than one time. Now the best 
way to cook them, according to Jorge, is to cook them with a dried avocado leaf. Now, luckily, he sells those too. So if you're ordering the Ayacote Pintos, <laughs> you can also order. No, I don't. Uh, he was out of stock on the avocado uh, leaves when I. But they're back in stock promise. now. But they're back in stock, so I need to order some more. They're not cheap. A 2.2 pound bag, which is a kilo bag. Of the beans will run you about fourteen ninety five, so they're not inexpensive, but they are worth every penny. Yeah, I, again, uh, we are not being paid, we are not being sponsored, we are not being promoted. We don't get anything from these. Didn't people. even get the beans free. No, I we, paid we're, for them. we're paying retail for everything, <laughs> and these are things we found over the last year that make for great Christmas gifts. And I'm gonna let Bruce start off with the next one because this is something that he is so. Uh, in love with. Oh, this is fabulous. ChefIQ.com. C-H-E-F-I-Q.com. So they've oh, just... I want it to be Shafiq. <laughs> Shafiq? <laughs> Shafiq. Okay. Even think of that. ChefIQ.com. They okay. have a new meat thermometer that stays in the meat in the oven and is Bluetooth to your phone. Now, this is a trend a lot of companies are making, though, but I really like Shafiq, Chef IQ's one, because what it does, it not only Bluetooths to your phone, but it constantly recalibrates how long your meat is going to take to be done based it's, on how quickly it's, it's heating up. So that you have, you know, one of those 20 minutes till done, 30 minutes till done circles on your phone. And as the meat is cooking, it constantly tells you. So you're never going to have that moment of like, oh, how long is it going to be before this gets to the 120 or the 127 I set it at? This thing will tell you. We're going to my brother's house for Christmas, and my sister-in-law always likes prime rib. Well, who doesn't like a standing rib roast for Christmas? And I think her entire family is coming, and my mom's going to be there. So there's going to be like 20 of us with the kids. I mean, it's insane. We're probably going to make three standing rib roasts for this giant crowd, <laughs> which includes teenagers and you know what that means so i am sure that bruce is bringing this chef eat thermometer with him at christmas because it is so high tech it's geeky it's bluetooth to his phone he can be anywhere and still measuring the temperature of the meat it's really amazing ChefIQ.com meat thermometer great gift for the meat lover in your life okay we're moving on then to another source and that is Eat Fish Wife. <laughs> Love that name. Wow. Uh, do I want to? <laughs> Eat Fish Wife. It's just what you think. Eatfishwife.com. This is a tend fish company. Mm, it's mm, female mm. founded. It is a company that aims to make ethically sourced tend fish. And if you don't know, if you are too old to know this, the kids are into tend fish. Not these just days. the kids. I'm into tend we fish. Are too, we, uh, have, we go to Boston uh, to this admitted. one wine bar just to drink Portuguese wine and eat tin fish. Yeah, we do. It's Haley.Henry, and it's in downtown Boston, and it is a spectacular wine bar. They'll open any bottle on their list for you, sometimes even just for a glass, if you ask nicely. Oh, it's amazing wine bar, Haley.Henry. And they are importers of tin fish, but eatfishwife.com is, again, trying to do this ethically uh, they have all kinds of wild smoked and 
uh, what am I going to say? K- t- k- tinned fish? Smoked they do a smoked fish tuna. And spicy fish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm kind of out of words. Because they do it a so tinned smoked tuna that's so amazing and a tinned smoked rainbow trout. They make a rainbow trout jerky. Mm-hmm. And my favorite is they've teamed up with the Chili Crisp company Fly by Jing. And so they have packaged a smoked salmon that mm-hmm. is made with mm-hmm. Chili Crisp. Mm-hmm. So go to eatfishwife.com and try some of these. Send them to someone who you know loves fish for the holidays, and you will be a and, hero. And really, honestly, Tend Fish has made an incredible renaissance, and we are not talking about those nasty tins of gross sardines in standard <laughs> supermarkets. This science stuff at Haley.Henry, the wine bar in Boston, the last time we were there, some of the tins were going for over $100 a ten on it's the menu. It's crazy, and you get them on a little platter with a roll and a bag of potato chips. Yeah. <laughs> and the tin is just For open and you bucks. eat out of the tin. But the, this, we, we had a rolled octopus at mm. Henry that was unbelievable. It was like mind-blowing. So tr- check out eatfishwife.com here and see about their amazing selection of tin fishes which make for fabulous house gifts. And fabulous gifts for food lovers in your life. Okay, moving on next to JacobsonSalt.com. That's Jacobson, J-A-C-O-B-S-E-N-S-A-L-T.com. Jacobson Salt. They are based in Oregon. They are the first company to harvest salt in the Pacific Northwest since the 1800s. And what makes their salt so astounding is, get this, it's flaked sea salt and it's hand picked that's I, I can't even quite understand how this goes right well I mean, they make a flaked salt like Malden you know those little pyramids of salt and after they dry the seawater and evaporate it and the salt is there every single flake is graded by its so size insane. and packaged accordingly it's so now insane. that's why they're pricier but it is quite an amazing thing and they also make some infused salts they do a smoked salt They do a habanero salt and a lemon zest salt. Really interesting stuff. As well as honeys, right? They have all Mm, kinds of crazy honeys. And I will confess to you that I have not yet tried their carrot honey, which is uh, made from, of course, carrot flowers as they flower in the fields. And they move the hives out to carrot patches. I'm kind of dying to try the carrot flower honey. I want to know what that tastes like. Well, they claim it's an earthy, it's a medium dark honey with an Mm. earthy flavor Mm. and notes of pumpkin and blackberry. Mm. So Jacobson Salt. Again, you don't have to write this down and you don't have to remember this. Look down on the show notes to this podcast and you will will find these. I'll leave them there. I'm the one who edits them and puts them up online and you will find them there. You can return to this podcast and look at the notes and find any of these places. Okay, up next, umamicart.com. That's U-M-A-M-I-C-A-R-T.com. Um, why are we so interested in umami cart? Well, because, of course, com. it's home to Asian groceries. And you, you know go. me and Asian food. Mm. I am obsessed with Asian food. Mm-hmm. And what I love about umamicart.com is they have almost every flavor of Lay's potato chips made throughout the world. And if you know anything about Lay's potato chips, you know that... Only in the U.S. do you get the standard boring stuff with, like, barbecue flavor and salt and vinegar. But you go to Japan, you go to Korea, you go to China, you will get 
Kobe steak flavor. Mm-hmm. You'll get roasted cumin mm. lamb flavor. Mm. You'll get Korean spicy ramen flavor. Mm. You'll get prick zabzid, which is a Thai barbecued pork flavor. Mm. I even like the green pepper spicy hot pot flavor and the crispy roasted fish flavor. I this is insane. So, <laughs> you you know what? If you brought a bag of this kind of stuff as a house gift, box, you bring a box, a, a Christmas gift. Well, no, I'm thinking about a Christmas bag or. A holiday bag or a Hanukkah bag. Mm. Well, I guess, really, you don't want to bring out these to a kosher home. But no, nonetheless, but Hanukkah, Hanukkah, Hanukkah's good because they're greasy and you're supposed to eat grease at Hanukkah, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think you're supposed to eat kosher grease, but okay. Yes, you're I don't know. I grease. think prick zabzid can be yeah, kosher. It depends yeah. on how they killed the pork. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what kosher means. Thanks for explaining that to us. Um, so anyway, these would be a great thing to buy, to bring. In fact, probably for yourself, to have around the house or to give to all kinds of teenagers. Think about the gross-out factor of teenagers when you give them these. Come on. It would be hysterical in a, Chris, a room full of Christmas people where, you know, you're opening presents and you gross all the teenagers out with these crazy flavored of chips, but then mm. the adults can eat them later. Yum. And our final food website, Fine, is a place that is near and dear to our hearts. It's EmpireWine.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-E, like for the state of New York, the Empire State, EmpireWine.com. In fact, it is in Albany, New York. And here's the thing. I don't know of another wine store in the U.S. that has better prices, and this will kick you. They have a huge list. I mean, a huge list of wines that if you buy a mixed case, they will ship almost anywhere in the United States for free. As long as the state it's going to legally allows them to ship there. And there are a few states that don't, but most states do. For free. Are for you free, getting free it? Shipping. So you live wherever you live, but you're ordering this from Albany and you're shipping it to someone in California yep. and it's free shipping. Yeah, we buy a lot of wine from EmpireWine.com, I have to tell you, and they have spectacular deals on rich Zinfandels. They have spectacular sparkling wines, great deals on French champagnes. And again, if you pick from the free shipping list, mm-hmm. the shipping free, free blah, blah, I mean, that list, it, it literally shows up at your house for no charge other than the charge of the wine itself. And their prices on the wine are they really are. good. So I, I I don't know anybody that works at EmpireWine.com. <laughs> They've I'm, never given us a break. I'm unconnected <laughs> to them in any business way. But I can tell you it is worth checking out for the free shipping deals. That's our six top food gift ideas for 2022. We're going to have Five more in our next week's episode, but we are going to move on now to our one-minute cooking tip. It is to save bacon fat. Does, uh, <laughs> do, we, do we have to say this? Don't we people do. know we this? Only in the South. Okay, well, I grew up with a jar of bacon grease in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. In fact, I know somebody whose um, grandmother ran out of bacon grease and her family was coming over and she was so embarrassed that she ran out of bacon grease that they caught her in the store buying 
bacon to fry it up so there would be bacon <laughs> grease in the refrigerator because she was so embarrassed that there was none for the holiday upcoming. So even if it's just a few save your bacon fat. Yeah, just a few. Even if you only fried up two pieces, save it because the next time you need butter or oil to saute onions, use the bacon fat. Mm. It's, it'll change the way you cook. Is that save how you make bacon. potato latkes in bacon fat? Mm. Depends how they kill the pig. <laughs> Again, thank you for explaining kosher to us. Um, no, of course, that's not how you make potato latkes. But a little bacon fat, if you are able to tolerate such things, is a fabulous thing. And whenever you make bacon, please do save that fat. It's culinary gold. Let me remind you that it would be great if you could subscribe to this podcast, if you could rate it. Thank you very much for the recent ratings we've gotten from Deponi. Thank you very much for taking the time to make that rating. And from KCO, we see those reviews. You took the time to actually write a review. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much for doing that for our podcast. Again, we are unsupported. We choose to be unsupported so that we can do what we're doing right now which is say go to all these places because listen if we were underwritten by General Mills we'd be saying go to General Mills yeah exactly well (laughs) they they wouldn't let us do what we just (laughs) did so we are thrilled to be on our own kind of doing our own content we like it this way because we can do things like this which is recommend great holiday gifts So please subscribe, rate, do those things that you can do to help us continue on with this project of our love of food and cooking with you. Up next, we are having an interview, as we always do, but this time Mark is doing the interview. I get to do one. He is interviewing David Joachim, author of the Food Substitution Bible. So on today's episode of the podcast, I have Dave Joachim, and I have known about Dave for a long time, and we've tried to connect at conferences. We've tried to actually connect up over the years, but it hasn't ever been possible. So I am thrilled to have him on the podcast because not only is he a legendary food and cookbook writer, but he wrote a book that is extraordinarily near and dear to my heart, which is the Food Substitution Bible, which I actually keep in my kitchen. So I want you to know, Dave, that there are not too many books that are actually in my kitchen, but this book is actually there in the kitchen. So welcome to the podcast. I love it. I'm so glad to hear that. And uh, thanks for having me on today. It's great to finally talk with you. We've never had a chance, like you said, to sit down at food conferences or industry events to uh, chat. So this is wonderful. The reason I suppose we're talking today is there is a third new edition of the Food Substitution Bible. And that seems almost unbelievable, a third new edition. Can you kind of help me figure out how this project got started and how it ended up in a third edition? Yeah, this is uh, this is unusual in book publishing for a book to go from paperback to start out as a paperback and then become a hardcover. Usually it goes the other way. Book starts out as a hardcover and then uh, sales slow down and then it becomes a paperback because it's cheaper to produce those. But yeah, it's an interesting story. I mean, I started this book, I, I actually started this with an address book, you know, those little old black uh, spiral bound address books. They're A to Z. So I just started keeping notes on substitutions because I stopped eating meat and I was vegetarian uh, about 30 years ago. And um, I just wanted to 
keep track of like, you know, how do I substitute eggs? Or I, I was experimenting with that too. Um, how do I substitute various kinds of meat or what, what maybe instead of bacon might taste, you know, even close. Um, so I, I started keeping notes and um, I filled up the book and uh, there was not quite a book there, but a publisher asked me if I'd be interested in writing a book on substitution. So that was the starting point. And um, it was, this was 2005 uh, that the first book came out as a paperback and uh, it won an IACP award. And then there was a second paperback edition in 2010 um, and I wrote more substitutions. So at that point there were 6,500 substitutions in the book. And then this third edition is now hardcover, fully illustrated, four color, um, much better production values, much more durable, which is good for a reference book like this. Uh, and now it has more than 8,000 substitutions. Yeah, I should tell you that I have the original until I got this, the third edition. I had the original first paperback edition. And I have to tell you that it was basically held together with chewing gum and flour paste. And I don't know what it was. <laughs> I love I, I know it's a sad story, but I love hearing that it means you actually used it, which is, yeah, of course, you know, which is the biggest compliment any book can be paid, especially a cookbook and a reference book. Oh, of course, because it's such a crazy and wild and interesting idea to have this reference book in your kitchen because let's face it, not everybody has everything. You know, what do I want to say? Bruce and I always get asked at conferences or at events, they say, you know, why don't you write a book for the things I have at home? And I always think, well, if you'll just give me a list of the things in your pantry and then I'll pass it to my agent, we'll see what we can do about writing a book <laughs> about the things you have in your home. Because not, and, and being serious, not everybody has everything in their pantry, right? Right. And, oh, and, and then people like you and me, I'm sure you have a ridiculously stocked pantry like I do, you know, and every piece of equipment known to any cook, you know, and people come here to test recipes with me and they're like, oh, my gosh, you have everything. <laughs> How right. is this possible? So that would be very helpful to get a list like that from someone because uh, all cooks are in different places with their needs, with their skill level, their taste, um, the, you know, all of it. Like what what would be a great recipe for one person is not a great recipe for another. Yeah. And for example, this last weekend, uh, we had a, par a birthday party for a friend and Bruce was making whipped cream for the dessert and went back to the pantry and there was no confectioner sugar in our pantry. And so there was this sudden panic of, you know, oh my God, I got to grind sugar and I got to put a little cornstarch <laughs> in it. And I got to make my own confectioner sugar, but not everybody knows how to do that or why they would do that. And so your book, The Food Sub Substitution Bible, really helps a, a, a home cook know what to do with certain ingredients. Um, why, let's say somebody out there has your original edition. Why do they need this one? Why do they need a third edition now? Well, the first one started with 5,000 substitutions and the latest third edition now has more than 8,000. So that's one big reason. Another is um, I expanded all of the content since the first edition. So this book isn't just substitutions. There's a lot of reference information, and particularly in the back of the book. There's, there's a whole section on ingredient guides. So instead of listing out in A to Z all of the different varieties of apples and the substitutes you could use for a Brayburn or a whatever, a Red Delicious or, you know, that's all on a chart in the back showing the similarities in texture and flavor, best uses. Um, so I expanded those. I expanded the measurement guides 
<clears throat> there's a lot of good reference information in there that's new. And many more, I noticed many more uh, Asian condiments uh, to reflect the, the growing North American food scene. You got it. I mean, the first book, this was 2005 and we're talking 2022 now. There are so many more ingredients available now. So I remember talking about this in the early 90s when pesto was just starting to be available. You know, now it's like a staple for people. Well, that's the way it is with Chili Crisp now. Chili Crisp is, you know, now available for people. That was not even existent um, on on grocery store shelves in America in, in 2005. So yeah, so I added substitutions for all kinds of new ingredients that are, are more available now on grocery store shelves. Now, Chili Crisp, it's a question of which one, right? It's not a question of the Laogan Ma, yeah. the standard. It's a question of which one you're using. Oh, and there's a huge diversity of um, ingredients in Chili Crisp because, I mean, the basic mm. components, oil, chili, and something crunchy, um, uh, <laughs> you can play with that in a number of ways. Some of them have MSG to bump up the umami. Some don't. You know, some have sesame seeds. Some have garlic chips. Some have shallot chips. Some have other alliums. You know, it's it's a huge mix. So, yeah, the, the book, Why to Get the New Edition, um, honestly – getting back to your uh, edition held together with rubber bands, this hardcover version is so much more durable and makes so much more sense for a reference book like this. It mm. even has the, uh, and I'm going to show you this on the video. Unfortunately, your listeners won't be able to see this, but you know, it even has like the, the colored um, tabs on the end of the, the pages. So you can flip through like a dictionary would. Um, so it's just much more useful. I'm looking at my copy. I'm sitting here looking at my copy. And sure enough, I see it here on the desk in front of me. I, I have to confess to you, I didn't even notice that. That is pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot of little use factors like that that we did with this edition to make it more practical. Uh, so in addition to all the uh, information that I added, it's just a much more beautiful book and a much more useful book. Ah, very nice. So let me ask you a question. There are esoteric things in the book like job's tears which i have i have to love job's tears but okay esoteric things like job's <laughs> tears and orjat syrup and livero <clears throat> cheese and these things are very precise let, let, let's take livero that's a great one it's extremely precise in its flavor profile as a cheese what happens when you try to figure out a substitute for something that is so precise as that? There are, I'm sure, many more examples in the book. There's just three I pulled up. What happens? What do you do when you're trying to match something like that? That is a great question. Um, the truth of the matter is there are very few exact substitutes in the world. What this book teaches you to do is to improvise. And if you're looking for an exact substitute for an ingredient, you're mostly going to be disappointed. And I explained that in the introduction. What I try to teach throughout this book is the principles of how to improvise well and how to do it in a smart way um, with reliable substitutions, with re reliable replacements. Uh, there are only a couple of things that are exactly like the original. Um, so like a self-rising flour, for instance, if you mix together a cup of all-purpose flour and one and a half teaspoons of baking powder and a half teaspoon of salt, you're pretty much going to be right on the money with what you would buy in the, st in the store as self-rising flour. And, you know, three teaspoons always equals one tablespoon. But beyond that, um, when you substitute, things are going to change. So, you know, getting back to your Livero example, like 
another stinky wash rind cheese may work um, if that's what you're going for. Um, so uh, if you want to keep it in France, like a Malwall might work, or if you're willing to go outside that country, maybe a Limburger or another stinky wash rind cheese will work. But will it be exactly like the original? No. Um, the, the book has the substitutes organized by type, which is an important thing to keep in mind when you're substituting. Why are you substituting? Are you trying, did you just run out of this ingredient and you're trying to actually replicate it as closely as possible? Or maybe you're substituting because you're trying to make something healthier. So you're substituting uh, butter, for instance, because you want to lower the saturated fat or something. Or, or maybe you're substituting because you have a vegan guest and, and they don't eat uh, dairy products. So that's why you need to substitute. So all of the substitutes are organized according to those reasons why you would be substituting. Um, and it's important to keep that in mind because whenever you're replacing one ingredient with another, there are two things that I tell people to focus on, the flavor and the function. And that is going to lead you to a good substitute. So flavor of that cheese that you mentioned, you're not going to substitute that with ch cheddar because it's just not going to replicate the flavor very well. Um, and then the function in the recipe or, or, or the dish that you're making, uh, what, is it, what is the function of that ingredient? Is there something else that would function in a similar way? So it, it would be a viable substitute. I, I, I noticed, sorry, I noticed that, for example, on the maple syrup, you know, we live in New England. So, of course, maple syrup is ritual and godlike. And, you know, there's a whole cult dance we do in New England for maple <laughs> syrup. So, <laughs> so maple syrup is near and dear to our hearts. And I noticed that there were substitutes for maple syrup. And what I, I found intriguing about the substitutions for maple syrup is that you start by giving a recipe for basically how to fake it with granulated white sugar and water and maple flavoring and simmering that on the stove. And then you run down a list of possible substitutes and, you know, you end up at sorghum syrup and brown rice syrup, and those are getting farther and farther and farther away from maple syrup. And I think what you just said fits that. Uh, if I were making some three stick of butter pecan pie and I needed to substitute maple syrup, sorghum syrup is probably not going to, you know, cause a giant revolution in flavor from maple syrup a little bit, but you know, yeah, not, yeah, not a giant yep. revolution. But if I were making maple candies, then it would make a huge difference, right? So, I mean, thinking about the function of that ingredient in your recipe is super important. And either way, what the the, the best advice I can give is think about the food family. So, I, I was talking with someone recently about this, and I said, "What is a chickpea?" And I said, what is, what family is the chickpea in? And this person said, the chickpea family? <laughs> I said, no, it's a bean, right? So, I mean, let's say you're, you are making hummus and you don't have any chickpeas and your, your recipe calls for canned chickpeas. Well, you could totally switch gears and make a white bean dip instead. It's hummus is a bean. What you're making is a bean dip. Think about the family that this food is in that you're trying to substitute. Maybe there's a viable substitute within the same family. Dairy is a great example. Like, you know, if you ran out, if, if a recipe calls for yogurt, another similar dairy product may work like sour cream. Um, so think within that food family, what is another ingredient that has a similar taste and a similar texture that might work in its place? So what are a couple of your 
favorite substitutions. All right. So something that blew me away recently, I'm not super recently, but within the past couple of years is aquafaba. Um, I am, I'm generally surprised at how well that works as a substitute for egg whites. Um, I have made aquafaba meringues. I've used it to lighten waffles. I've made mayonnaise with it, um, used it uh, for cocktails in place of egg white. It is amazing. Aquafaba, uh, if you just kind of break down those words, is bean water or water bean, aquafaba. Um, but it, it, practically what it is, it's the leftover canning liquid from canned chickpeas. And the reason it works is that the canning process, the heating process, extracts enough protein and starch from the beans into the water that that water replicates mm -hmm. the functionality of an egg white with its protein and its ability to bind ingredients together. So the chickpea water functions very similarly to egg whites and makes a remarkable substitute uh, for egg whites and recipes that call for mm -hmm. it. So mm -hmm. if you're vegan, for instance, what a great discovery. Um, and even if you're not, if you just need an egg white and don't have eggs, but you have a can of chickpeas in the pantry, you might be able to get by uh, by whipping those that that uh, chickpea water into a froth and and essentially making a meringue with that. It's like doesn't make sense. It still doesn't quite make sense to my head. Even after you explain the process of the canning and leaving the protein behind, it still seems like magic to me. <laughs> so give me another magic trick. So there aren't only ingredients in the book. There are in equipment substitutes for equipment and for techniques too. So you want to have a fondue, you don't have a fondue pot. Does that mean you scrap your menu and do something else? No. I mean, what is a fondue pot? It's a pot over some heat. You could substitute very easily a stoneware pot or another saucepan, a metal saucepan, over a heating pad, which actually helps prevent burning of the bottom of if it's a cheese fondue. Um, often that burns on the bottom. And a gentle, the gentle heat of a heating pad on high underneath a very decorative cloth, of course, you know, so that so it looks good on your table. It, it actually functions really well as a substitute for a fondue pot. Nice. Very nice. Very nice ideas. And the book is just chock full of them. It is a bit. It is, as we say in our house, a tome. Having written a few tomes ourselves, it is a tome because you uh, they ship books by weight. And so this is a tome for itself. And I love that there are there are not only ingredient substitutions, there are technique substitutions, there are equipment substitutions, that it's all really a useful kitchen tool. I can't recommend it enough. So what what's up next for you? Well, I'm working on a Wicked Kitchen cookbook. I wrote a book a few years ago with some vegan chefs. Uh, this is why I have vegan on the brain, and I mentioned a bunch of vegan substitutes. Um, I wrote a book a few years ago with some vegan chefs called The Wicked Healthy Cookbook, and it was very chef-y. A um, lot of complicated techniques, beautiful food, just delicious, uh, but a little chef-y for the home cook. So I'm working on a book that's uh, a, a little more down-to-earth and quick and easy recipes um, called the Wicked Kitchen Cookbook. So that's one. And then another one is a cookbook with a pizza restaurant in Philadelphia that only hires formerly incarcerated people. Oh, wow. And that's called wow. Down North Pizza. Yeah, they do Detroit style pizza and their, their mission drives their entire business. They have relationships all over the city and the country with uh, organizations that just help keep people out of jail and help them get back on their feet when they're coming out of jail. So how can people find you in the ether? 
out in the social media world? Well, they can go to DaveJoachim.com. So it's Dave and then J-O-A-C-H-I-M.com. Um, or find me on Insta and other social channels uh, at Dave Joachim. And the book, we should look for Dave Joachim's book on Amazon, wherever books are sold, right? As they say, it's it's basically... Yes, yeah, the Food Substitution Bible, the, the new edition and the old ones are still available for sale on Amazon. I, I highly recommend the new one. Uh, it is, like I said, for all the reasons we've been talking about. But yeah, it's, uh, in, uh, it's in all the, the regular bookstores, Barnes & Noble, as well as Amazon. And hopefully your local independent too, because uh, that's where I prefer to shop for books. Well, me too. It's just, you know, I mean, I, Amazon has us all by the short hairs. And so, uh, it, it, you know, what can I tell you? It, it's really horrible. Every time I order even a light bulb from Amazon, I think, oh, look at me, I'm killing my own career. But at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, it's just so easy. So here I am doing it. Um, Dave, it was really oh, great to talk to you today. Thank you for taking time to talk to me about the Food Substitution Bible. And I really can't recommend more to our listeners to, to check the book out. Again, this is a book that has literally lived inside my kitchen. And honestly, I I don't know that many books that live in Bruce and Mark's kitchen. They live in the bookshelves downstairs, but they don't live in the kitchen. And it's a book that would probably live in your kitchen too. Thanks, Dave, for being here today. Oh, thank you so much. And let's definitely get together for dinner at the next industry event. Oh, that'd be fabulous. <laughs> um, I love listening to David talk about that. I I was so uh, undone. I was a little starstruck, I have to tell you. Um, <laughs> Dave's career and our career, uh, they we've been kind of parallel in some ways. Um, he, he did an opposite from the way we did. We started out with very high-end foodie books, and we moved to more mass market books. And he did it the other way around. He started out with The Man, The Can, The Plan, or whatever mm -hmm. those books were, more mass market books. And then he has moved much more high-end. But it, it, we've kind of paralleled each other. I've I've known about him for a great long time. We've always tried to get together at food conferences. We've never been able to be actually at the same conference at the same time. And I I have to confess that I was a little bit awestruck by him. And I have to say, before we get to our last segment, um, the one, one funny note about that interview, I had been outside doing winter cleanup in the garden all day. And so I came in screaming into the house five minutes before the interview. I ran to do the interview with Dave and he was also beautifully coiffed and dressed and sitting at his desk. And I still had on my filthy garden baseball cap and I even had dirt on the sides of my mouth. I mean, it was oh, like, nice. it, I nice. looked like death warmed over and, you know and what? he looked so professional. We record the video of those so we should consider having that as extra bonus material so that if people we we should oh open a patreon account and if people want to donate oh, right. to our cause here don't you then they could get to don't see you the video see me with the dirt on the sides of my mouth as i'm if that's something I, that interests you send us a note at cooking with bruce and mark the group on facebook or go to our website cooking with bruce and mark don't leave us a note if that interests you we could talk about doing that yeah uh, we do we actually record the videos via the interviews via zoom we could make those available for donation via Patreon. Okay, our last segment, as is traditional, what's making us happy in food this week? So what's making you happy in food this week? Kava. Kava, baby. We ordered a case of Raventos Kava from Empire Wine. It was part of the free shipping. It's fabulous. It's dry. It's delicious. Kava is an underrated 
bubbly. Everyone knows champagne. Everyone knows prosecco, if, and if nobody know, knows. We're talking Cava. Spanish bubbling wine. Mm, so um, good. Sometimes. Mostly white, I guess. Sometimes pink. I, I'm sure there's some reds out well, there. Well, the Reventos makes a pink we like, but we ordered the white this time. It's so yeasty and it's dry. drier, mm, right. It is much drier. Well, what's making me happy in food this week is Szechuan meat pies, because we had a huge festival of Szechuan food at our house this weekend. Bruce cooked a dinner party for four people that was just gorgeous. If you saw my posts on social media, you saw that he even folded the napkins to look like Buddhist monk robes. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, serving meat pies yeah, and meat Buddhist pies. Food, yeah. yeah, not really. But anyway, <laughs> Bruce made these Szechuan meat pies, which are street pies, right? They're yeah, kind they're of street, street food. They're, they're, yeah, they're Chengdu street food, and you make a highly seasoned ground beef filling when mm. I use mm. yellow chives in them, which mm. is not traditional. Um, and you put Sichuan peppercorn powder and oyster sauce and you make a very soft wheat dough and you fill them and you pan fry them and oh, they're so good. They, I I had them covered with Bruce's 23 spice red chili oil. Mm. If you want to know how to make that chili oil, it is on our YouTube channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. You can see a video of Bruce making exactly this chili oil. It's not terribly hot. It's far more aromatic. Oh, it's so fragrant. It's oh, there's hot. so many spices. It's so Herbs. delicious. Okay, that's the podcast for this week all kinds of holiday gift ideas upcoming for your holiday gift lists or house gifts when you visit people we are so glad you have been a part of this podcast with us thank you for being on this journey with us thank you for leaving comments for us and thank you for laughing along with us because we're having a great time doing it and we look forward to sharing some more food insight and fun with you on another episode of cooking with bruce and mark 